My scripture reader today is my bodyguard. He's in training in Colorado right now, but when he come, resumes his original post here, we'll, uh, we'll feel a lot better. When do you head back? Uh, November 9th. 9th. So that's just a couple more days on Wednesday. Uh, keep praying for Mason. He's in the bulletin. This is Mason Ingram. Hashtag army. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> okay. That's okay. good. So where, where are we? The Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1, please. Just give them a second. Okay. You're ready to roll. I'm ready, yeah. Proverbs chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. Follow along in your Bible. What translation are you in today? Um, I think I'm in King James. No. No. New American Standard. NASB. Mm-hmm. All right. That's my old Bible. Okay. Go. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equality, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and direction. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord in the beginning of knowledge, Full despise wisdom and instruction. Amen. King's kids, you are dismissed. They are ready for you out there. We've got a few kids in there already. So King's kids is ready to roll. I'm ready to roll. Put your finger, well, we're getting organized here. Put your finger in Exodus 20 and Isaiah 8. We're going to be turning to those two passages of Scripture today. Exodus 20 and Isaiah 8. That'll help you in the long run. Because we read Proverbs 1, and we will eventually look at what Solomon says about the fear of the Lord. But that statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's not new with him. It's not, he's not the first one to say that. And I don't want to begin with Solomon's perspective. He is a less than ideal display of what it means to be spiritual he is a less than ideal example to follow he has a lot of good things to say because you can learn from your mistakes you can look back on your life and instruct people don't do this but we're going to look at what Moses says long before Solomon and we're going to look at what Isaiah says long after Solomon and begin to build an understanding of what the fear of the Lord is from some people who actually feared him properly and in due time in the right way so Exodus 20 Exodus 20 I'm going to read verses 18 through 21 Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mount, Mount Sinai, smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood afar off 
They backed up. And they said to Moses, Whoa, you see them, them pushing themselves away and pushing Moses forward. You, you speak to us and we will listen to you, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. Um, time out. Moses sees that as a good thing. God is like, God has come to test you. That's a good thing. We, we shy from that. Not Moses. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. What an amazing example of faith in Moses. Drawing near to a God that he does fear in thick darkness. God is portrayed as light and life, and in many ways he is. He is also darkness and mystery and unknown, and we should have a proper fear of him. Two interesting responses to God in this passage. I want to read to you the response of an atheist to this idea of God being fearful. His name is Christopher Hitchens. He's a, a modern uh, atheist. He actually calls himself an anti-theist because he doesn't just not believe in God. He's actively saying to everybody else, stop believing in God. He is part of new atheism. It's very harsh, militant, and in your face. On Fox News asked about the possibility of God's existence, Christopher Hitchens replied, I think it would be rather awful if God's existence was true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did, you would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death It'd be like living in North Korea. And so much of what he says is true. But he fears God's existence. Therefore, he is against it. Contrast that with the Roman Catholic German monk in the early 1500s who says this about his understanding of God. Christ was depicted as a grim tyrant, a furious and stern judge who demanded much of us and imposed good works as payment for our sins. This makes us reluctant to go to Christ. If my conscience is stricken with fear, I feel sufficiently repelled. My heart and my bad conscience quite naturally shun him whom I fear. Fear and terror 
prod and goad me away from him so that I do not stay with him. And my observation is, if you have an unhealthy or improper fear of God, it will lead you to one of two extremes. You can be very religious like this monk and serve God out of fear, which is legalism. Or you can totally reject this God over your life and do whatever you want for the rest of your life and become an atheist. And there's not much separating the two. One is very religious, one is irreligious. But both have a wrong understanding of the fear of the Lord. Most people in here tend to be on one end of that spectrum, or at least closer to the end, the religious, we believe in God end. But this is, this is a real important topic to wrap our heads around. Good news on that monk. He read the book of Romans, and it changed his life. His name was Martin Luther. And later in his life, he says, I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. But after he was born again and came to a knowledge of Christ as a kind Savior, he says this, He will not be a terror to me, but a comfort. And that captures the proper fear of the Lord. He is no longer a terror to those who trust Him, but a comfort. And that frames my thinking for the rest of this message. And as I look back on Moses and, and Exodus 20, the people are very much afraid. They very much want... Go get those commandments, bring them down, we'll do them. But we don't want to be near God. God has called them to the foot of the mountain, and they are standing farther and farther off. Improper fear of God leads to atheism or legalism, and those are extremes we need to guard against and observe in wider culture because both of those are around us every day ours is a culture that has heard about God thinks they know about God thinks they have a knowledge of God but even sin stricken Solomon would say the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom it's just the scratching of the surface. There is so much more to God than the fear. So what does Moses tell the people? Write this down. A proper fear makes God our greatest comfort, joy, and delight. There's a progression. We are supposed to be afraid of God, but we are not supposed to be always afraid of God. It changes. When you are a sinner and realize God is holy 
just, righteous God who will make you pay for your sin, that should make you afraid of him. But you also need to keep listening because that God also asks you, trust me, confess your sins, come to me, repent, turn, and I will heal you, I will forgive you, I will grace you, I will be your savior. That's also what he says. And so the fear turns into comfort. And being afraid turns into being comforted. It's amazing. So I'm looking in, back in Exodus 20. Here's Mo, chap, verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 20. Moses says to the people, do not fear. Like, well, yeah, you only say that to people who are afraid, right? So do not fear, one of the most common phrases in the Bible. Why? Because <laughs> when it comes to God... He's huge. Do not fear, for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Hmm. That the fear of him. They were afraid. They trembled. They stood afar off. The people said, Moses, just speak to us. No, no, no. Come closer. They stood far off, and Moses responded with, do not fear. Make sure we don't stand far off. Improper fear of God makes us afraid of God, and if we're not careful, we will draw ourselves away from Him. We'll push Him away. God is holy. But then Moses has a prescription. Don't just stand far off. Fear Him. Why? That the fear of Him may be before you. I like this last phrase. That you may not sin. Whoa. You mean he's not going to crush me for my sin? Not if you fear him properly and you own up to it. He's right. You're wrong. Are you willing to say you're wrong and are you willing to say he is right? That's repentance. You agree with God and then you stop sinning. And you don't stop sinning because you want to be a better person. You stop sinning because God is awesome. Totally different mindset than the legalist. The legalist says, I need to make myself better. I need to stop these things because I want to be better. No, we stop sinning because God is awesome. We have a proper understanding of we want to be a part of who he is. And we can't when we stand far off. We can't when we sin. We can't when we live according to the flesh is another way to put it. Life of the spirit is drawing nearer to God, not away from God. So there, it's so funny. Moses, he says, do not fear, but then his neck, in the same breath, but I want the fear of him to remain before you. Did you get that? Don't be afraid, don't, don't fear God, but I want you to fear God. So very clearly to Moses, there are two different fears in play here. The one he sees in them where they're withdrawing from God, and then the one he sees in himself like, what are you talking about? God is what we need. Moses gets it. He did you not see what he did to Pharaoh? Pharaoh was pushing God away and God crushed him. 
You people, stop drawing away from God. He's invited us into the desert. He's inviting us to the mountain. He's inviting us through the Red Sea. He's inviting us to himself. Have you not seen the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the manna you're eating every... Have you not seen the water from the rock? He is for you. Stop drawing away. Moses, you can see why he gets a little angry with these people. draw near God is inviting us improper fear of God sees God as a tyrant proper fear of God sees God as gracious and kind what is it well I want to get a different perspective Moses was a long time before Solomon. Let's turn to Isaiah 8 and see if the fear of the Lord is any different 800 years later. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah is preaching to a people who have largely still pushed God away not living in righteousness, not loving their neighbors, not fulfilling the law, corrupting each other. They're, they're living in sin, and God is warning them through Isaiah, the hammer is about to fall. Repent, I'm coming. Uh, it's, in many ways, it's a harsh book, but Isaiah also paints some of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus that the Old Testament has to offer, which is hope. There, I'm going to punish you for your sins, but I'm also going to be gracious and merciful to you. Like, like both at the same time. Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. And He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken." Ah, I chuckled when I realized we're voting this week. This is a good passage. Do not call conspiracy all that the rest of the world calls conspiracy. Do not live in fear of what all the rest of the world fears. Fear God. Tremble before Him. But I digress. What parallels do we see between Moses and Isaiah? He adds to the fear factor. <laughs> Do not dread what the wicked dread. And he says, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Write those words down. Those are, those are big. Remember, he's talking to largely people who have not feared God enough to keep his commandments and to want to be like him, who have not maintained 
the temple and the festivals and the priesthood like they should have. Those were important to God, so they should have been important to God's people. By those things becoming falling out of use and not staying important to those people, it shows that their hearts didn't think much of God who thought much of those things. You see what I'm saying? It's not just that they didn't want to do it. They didn't care about God anymore. They didn't need to know about them being a shadow of the Messiah and all the different things in the temple hearkening back to uh, the Garden of Eden and the ideal. They didn't need to know all that. All they needed to really know was God said, do it. I'm going to do it. Done. Because I love God. I'm going to do whatever he says. Without that love, everything just becomes religious and empty. And so he says, okay, you are a very fearful people. If you're going to fear anything and dread anything, it needs to be God. He needs to be your fear and dread. He needs to be. Verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. And by throwing that word holy in there, which Isaiah has a really good understanding of, the guy has seen the throne of God and he knows what the angels cannot stop saying in God's presence, holy, holy, holy. He is Elohim of Elohim. He is a king of kings, Lord of lords. He's high and exalted above everything, everything. Let him be your fear and dread. God alone controls your ultimate destiny. God alone has the ultimate power to bring life or to bring death. God alone has the ultimate power to bring you pleasure or to put you in pain. God alone has the ultimate power to give you eternal bliss or eternal agony. This is the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, the protector of Israel. Fear him! Verse 14. And he will become your sanctuary. Whoa. If I fear God properly, it's one of those biblical paradoxes. He who wants to be greatest must become the least. He who tries to keep a hold of his life will lose it. He who gives up his life for Christ's sake will gain it. He who fears the Lord properly gains comfort and hope and peace and joy from approaching the holy God. That is beautiful. We are very much sinners in the hands of an angry God. But that angry God has pierced Jesus Christ. Has poured His wrath upon His only begotten Son. So that you can draw near to Him and find grace and find mercy and find forgiveness. He is holy and he is good to those who honor him as holy 
and approach him with a proper fear. He's number one. And that should free us from worrying about the next diagnosis or the next boss or the next teacher or the next test or the next election or the next economic swoon or whatever OPEC decides or whatever Russia decides. We are free. If we properly fear God, we should not fear anything else. And that brings comfort. It brings comfort. A sanctuary is a place of safety, a place of rest, a place of delight, a place of hope. We're going to look at some things David says about the fear of the Lord. That's it. I'm excited to get there. Proper fear and dread of the Lord, of God, becomes our sanctuary and our hope. This is such a beautiful summary of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is presenting a kingdom where everything will be right. If you're not right, you should be scared of that. But if you come to that God and He makes you right, then you, you should find that kingdom coming, His will being done. Very exciting. Something to look forward to. I'm on the winning team. I, Jesus doesn't lose. I'm all in with Him. And the Apostle Paul taps into this. You don't need to turn there. You can just listen. Romans eleven twenty two. Romans eleven twenty two. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. To those who experience the holiness of God without Jesus as their shield, it's severe. To those who experience the holiness of God, arm in arm with Jesus, it is the greatest moment of worship in all eternity with our family. God is for us, not against us. God is with us, in us, and working through us. A proper fear of the Lord is going to make you want to be near that God. If you ever find yourself pushing God away because He seems harsh, because he seems difficult. Part of that is, there's some truth in that. You don't deserve that. You're right. You shouldn't be drawing near. You're right. But we don't draw near because we want to, but because he tells us to. He's the one who initiated this relationship, not me. I'm dead in trespasses and sins. I cannot reach out to God. Faith is a gift. When you understand what God is inviting you to himself, this is the pursuit of wisdom. He's not just inviting us to have some knowledge. He's inviting us to himself. When we understand that, it should change the way we live. Kindness and the severity of God continue in his kindness. 
So in Moses and in Isaiah, we see that a proper fear and dread of God leads us to trust God as our sanctuary and trust God as our eternal hope. And I want to read to you the words of uh, an old saint. 1865, because this topic of the fear of the Lord has been around uh, since the beginning. It's older than dirt. (laughs) We just don't get it. It's not a topic that we explore very much, and I am very much enjoying uh, a new perspective on how the Bible presents the fear of the Lord. It is good. Is God safe? No way. But He's good. He invites us to draw near, and a proper fear of Him will make us tremble, but rejoice. But rejoice. The words of Stephen Charnock. Nothing of God looks terrible in Christ to a believer. The sun is risen, shadows are vanished, God walks upon the battlements of love. Justice hath left its sting in the Savior's side. The law is disarmed, weapons out of his hand. His bosom open, his bowels yearn, his heart pants. Sweetness and love is in all his carriage. And this is life eternal, to know God believingly in the glories of His mercy and justice in Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they may know you. As our comfort, as our holy God, Here's the beautiful truth. Last line. Fear and love are two sides of the same coin. Fear and love are not two separate things. Fear and love are not two separate things within us battling for control. Fear and love of God are two sides of the same coin. At what point in the coin... Does one become the other? Does one side become the other? You just think of them as one. Fear the Lord. Love the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. Why? Because He's lovely. Love Him. Why? Because He's fearsome. He's a jealous God. He's gracious, merciful, and kind, showing compassion to thousands of generations. He will by no means excuse the wickedness of the wicked, bringing consequences and judgment to the third and fourth generation, but grace to thousands of generations. Which side of God do we actually get more of in the Bible? It's the grace. It's the mercy. It's the goodness of God. But do not forget fearing the Lord. Sometimes just having a proper fear of the Lord will keep you out of trouble. you don't want to disappoint your dad and you don't want your dad to have to step in the Bible says to examine yourselves and see whether or not you're in the faith the Bible says to examine yourself and change and repent 
And if you don't do it, God might step in and do it. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God because he hates sin. He loves you, and he wants to drive it out of you as far as the east is from the west. Let him. Let him be your God. I want to end a little differently today. I wonder how many of you are messing around with sin. Addictions, hang-ups, habits. Are you messing around with sin and thinking God does not care? I am here to tell you, He cares. He's holy. I just can't stop. Fear Him. Stop listening to what other people say. Stop listening to what your own body says. It thinks it needs. You need God. What are you afraid of? What are you really afraid of? Have you ever thought about that? What are you afraid of losing? Don't live in fear of what our nation is going to go through. Don't live in fear of how your finances are floundering. Don't live in fear of how some authority figure can ruin your life. Don't live in fear of your health issues. Don't live in fear of losing stuff, possessions. And don't live in fear of losing people that you love. Fear God. Keep Him first in your life and love Him because He is good. Is there anybody here struggles with anxiety, stress, worry? Anxiety, stress, worry, fear. That is a physical reminder that you need Jesus. That's what it's there for. It's there to drive you to God. It's not empty. It's, it's real. It's real. But God is realer. God is bigger. God is stronger. And He cares for you more than you care for yourself. He has your best interest in mind when He says, fear me. He's serious. Fear and love the Lord your God. And see Him change your perspective. See Him change your perspective. So this morning I want to pray for your anxieties, for your stress, and for your worries. My prayer is doesn't change you but as I pray pray with me agree with me acknowledge that God is on the throne and surrender confess your inability to fix anything and give your stress your fear your anxiety your worry to the Lord it's a confession service Because when I read the fear of the Lord in the Bible, those who do it properly always end up on their face. Because they know God's listening. They don't draw away and say, I got this, I'll deal with this. You may need medical help. You may need therapy. You may need medication. But I know something you need more than all of that. On top of all of that. It is fearing God. 
and loving His goodness. It is fearing God and His response to sin in your life and loving that He offers you mercy and grace and a second and a third and a fourth chance. The proper fear of God will make us draw near to God. Let's draw near this morning. Stand with me. Bow your head, close your eyes. As we pray together, I want this to just be a minute. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, but I'm going to give them a second to settle in too because I want them to pray as well. What are you really afraid of? Where are your anxieties pushing your faith to the side? Where is your stress overwhelming your ability to say no? Where are you feeding your sin? God, we come to you this morning as a wrecked people. We worry and fret and stress and are anxious about so many things. Martha, Martha, one great and holy thing is required. God, teach us to spend more time at the feet of Jesus as we read our Bibles and as we pray. We, we need your spirit to bring your word to life, to comfort us, to encourage us. We need to see you in every story as the hero, God. We need to see you in the middle of, of every, everything, We lay our stress and anxiety at your feet this morning and we say, please help us. We struggle with loneliness and we are missing people as the holidays draw near. We have people suffering for reasons we are not understanding. People whose hearts and minds have given up on getting well. Help them to get you. Help them to see everything they need in Jesus Christ. That you, God, would be all sufficient, all graceful, all merciful for our needs. I pray specifically for those who are brave enough to admit their fear this morning, to admit their anxiety. Help them this week to get alone with you. And for the millionth time, cast their cares onto their Lord. Help us, God, to fear you properly so we love you completely. Amen.
saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said to you for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, O oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give thee aid, I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my gracious omnipotent hand when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply the flame shall not hurt thee I only design thy dross to consume and thy goal to refine thy soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to its foes that soul through all hell should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. The benediction for today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is... Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether, is, whether it is good or evil. Amen. You're dismissed.